0: This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 637 with Sage B. Hobbs. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 637. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. Sage B. Hobbs is the author of Naked Communication and the host of Race, Culture, and Beyond, a Naked Conversations podcast series. Sage's passion for maximizing human potential, building emotional intelligence, and cultivating cultures of equity has led to over 20 years of experience working in public, private, and not-for-profit sectors. Her specialty is relational leadership and communication, enabling leaders and team members to create positive relationships and organizational cultures that ensure greater success and satisfaction. With a commitment to continual learning of diversity, equity, and inclusion, Sage brings an equity lens to all her work. She's comfortable facilitating uncomfortable conversations in order to support the growth and impact that her clients seek. Sage and I became friends after she was on my show for the first time a couple of years ago, and as her work has evolved to be more centered around diversity, equity, and inclusion work, we've had so many great conversations around what it means to be a white woman talking about race and culture in America. I know so many of you are committed to DEI work as well across your communities, whether it's in the workplace, in your local organizations and communities in your households. So I thought it would be really valuable to have this conversation here for you to hear Sage and I just talk about kind of what we're doing, how we're doing it, why she especially is doing things in a certain way as she really dedicates her entire podcast conversation library to race, culture, and beyond. So listening to hear Sage share how she is building resilience in the smallest moments of joy right now, Her daily 10 minute practice with three girlfriends that has had massive impact over the last few months. Why she decided to launch her podcast, Race, Culture, and Beyond, and the considerations she made to create a show on race as a white woman. How she's handled making inadvertent microaggressions on her show. The truth about being an ally, who gets to own that word, and the significance of ally being a verb. How we can make equity a through line in all the ways we show up in various communities the power of choosing curiosity over assumptions to de-escalate conflict and come to a solution, and how to make space for everyone, especially introverts and slower processors in conversations. Sage is one of my favorite, maybe my favorite person to talk about how to have conversations because she has so much knowledge and expertise in this and she always makes me think two, three, four, five, six times about like how I can just be better and more thoughtful and intentional in my communication. And I know that you're going to learn a few things about this yourself as you listen to our conversation. So with all that said, please join me in welcoming back to the show, Sage B. Hobbs. Sage, welcome back to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so, so happy to have you here.
1: Hi, Sarah. I'm really psyched and honored to be here. Thanks for having me on again.
0: I feel like the first time we recorded, which would have been I don't know how long ago it was pre COVID. So like 18 years ago. And and I feel like that was, I didn't know you at that time. And now Mm -hmm. I know you like, now I'm like having my old friend Sage come back on the show.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's one of the most fun things about the podcasting world. I feel like you actually build relationships. It's so cool.
0: Absolutely. And I always say this, I'm like, every time I get done with an interview, I feel like I have a new friend, but this is like proof of that because a lot of my new friends do become very good friends who come back on the shows.
1: So fun. I'm not
0: just making up all my friendships.
1: <laughs> I actually, I'm here to say everybody, we are actually friends. <laughs> we, we actually do talk. Yes, I
0: love it. Okay. So let's dig in. I want you to tell me a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio. And what are you most excited about right now? As we record this in January of 2022, where in this moment, there's a excitement is questionable. <laughs> so what are you excited about right
1: now? Right. Right. Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm going to start sort of heavy right out the gate, which I don't mean to, but you know, we just, I live in Colorado and we just had these insane wildfires in the two towns that border the town where I live and a thousand people lost their homes. And it's been really kind of wild. Um, We're walking into the new year that way for lots of reasons. And so like, I've been excited about the little things, you Mm -hmm. know, like I just, it's a beautiful sunny day I took my dog for a walk, like just the joys of my home, like the things that would irritate me about my house have just feel inconsequential. There's just that, you know, post- trauma <laughs> yeah gratitude in some Absolutely. ways that's really really present for me and on a much lighter note that i just remembered because i haven't been remembering the fun things as much because <laughs> i've been in this space i'm going to hawaii with my mom and my sister we're doing a two generation like mother daughter trip and Ugh. we've never done that and my mom's in her 70s and my dad you know passed 10 years ago so it's a really i'm really excited i think that's going to be just a really special like memory making time and i'm looking forward to it
0: i love it I wanna back up to what you said about those little things right now. Mm-hmm. So, first mm-hmm. of all, that fire was so devastating. A friend I grew up with actually lost her home and many, I mean her all of her good friends. Her whole neighborhood, in her neighborhood, probably. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So it was like trauma on top of trauma to have it be ravaged to a community like that. And I will say I'm not living in, you know, I haven't experienced that kind of capital T trauma this year, but like the everyday little T traumas of like just this Mm -hmm. never ending pandemic and the ways that especially moms are having to shift and pivot and adapt and be prepared for anything and all of that. Right it really right. does bring me back to the beginning of 2020 or the early phases of the pandemic in 2020, where I talked so much about like, what is one little thing you can do today to create? Mm-hmm. Joy? And like the thing I keep talking about on Instagram right now is like dipping Oreos in coffee. I'm like, that's Ooh, all I yum. need. Like give me an <laughs> Oreo, give me a cup of coffee. And like, cause I just need like One tiny thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's
1: so that's delicious.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. My sister-in-law left Oreos here at Christmas time as part of a recipe. There was a bunch left over, which I was kind of cursing her for. And now I'm like, this is why they like it was meant to be. (laughs) It was meant to be.
1: Little joys. I mean, I really, really feel passionately about finding joy amongst like the dumpster fires. Like I that's been a theme for me for a really long time. And you know, this is the second huge tragedy we've had in. Boulder in my community in a year, the, we had the massive shooting yeah. that happened just around the corner from my house at the local grocery uh, store. Right. So as a mom, right? Like you mentioned that that's what I really got was, okay, my kids are growing up so privileged, right? They are white. We are financially stable. We live in a predominantly safe community where they have access to good education, all of the things that set them up for so-called success. And yet before the age of 12 they've lived through way bigger traumatic things yeah. than i ever had to yeah and it's intense to really get that you cannot keep them safe like that there is such a profound need for surrender in motherhood yeah so that's been really present for me too just you said capital t little t like it all lands differently for different people too you know yeah. what trauma feels like for each of us so I don't use the trauma word lightly at all. And I'm really like, oh yeah, these were two traumatic events (laughs) in my young children's lives, you know, and there've been others. So yeah, to the mamas out there, Oreos and coffee or whatever it looks like for me. Like I noticed a woodpecker in the tree the other day and I was like, oh my gosh, look at the woodpecker in the tree or just really... And also watching Queer Eye with my kids, love that so much. That's been another source of great joy. Oh, <laughs> I
0: love that. lately. To, Vinny's just getting to the age of like being able to watch things that I enjoy as well. <laughs> That's what yeah. I'm like making a mental note right now on that one. It's I super to, wonderful. I want to touch on resilience because <laughs> what I thought of when we were saying these small things and like paying attention to the small things because of these big T traumas, little T traumas, and this ongoing, I mean, the chronic trauma of COVID, no matter how it's impacted your life. I think that there's, that we are all living through a trauma response in different ways. And that looks different for every family. And I think that we have adapted in all sorts of different ways and become resilient in ways that we can't even identify. Mm. And your resiliency is like seeing the woodpecker. You might not have ever seen the woodpecker Three years ago, you would have been like nose down, got to work or whatever. But like in this moment in time, when things seem as fragile as they do, and they've proven mm-hmm. themselves to be as fragile as they are, you can look up and be like,
1: holy cow, the woodpecker. Right, right. Yeah. And I think that's a practice, you know, yeah. not to sound too woo woo, but just really the other thing I've been doing to take care of myself. And, you know, for those who don't know me, I am like an overachieving, neurotic Northeast. Jewish woman who speaks fast, <laughs> thinks fast, does everything fast and had moved to Colorado 20 years ago now, just thinking I'd come on a whim, but stayed. And i really got clear like, oh yeah, I stayed because my nervous system, like my soul needed me to slow down. And mm-hmm. if I had stayed in Philly or New York, I don't think that would have been possible for me. <laughs> and so yeah. I got cancer at 23 and I moved out here thinking again, just I'd be with it for a year with one of my best friends from college. And it has been such a, Gift to slow down by the nature of the place where I live. Yeah. But I still get super wound tight, Sarah. And I know you and I have talked about this about anxiety, and I can get so wound up. So I'm now on day 56. By the way, I'm not a fitness person like Sarah. Like, I'm not somebody who works out very often (laughs) at all. I'm on day 56 of doing four sun salutations every morning for every day. With and we're tracking it with two of my girlfriends, two other moms. We have a text thread. We're in different parts of the country and we just check in like, okay, I did mine. Did you do yours? And we try and help each other be accountable. And it didn't start out with a goal of being, you know, 55 plus days, but it's only takes me 10 minutes. You know, it has been so good for my psychological state as like the world literally feels like the ground is moving beneath us all. Yeah. So Oh my goodness.
0: Little things. 57 days. We were just talking about this related to podcasting before we hit record, but like Mm -hmm. start tracking numbers like that. And then you can own a number. Like that's incredible. And even if you were to miss a day or two now to still be like in the last quarter or the last couple of months or whatever, like to have a track record like that speaks strongly to a commitment to yourself and a commitment to your health and your mental health and your physical health. And I think that that's also like a huge part of resilience is like, I'm going to take just 10 minutes for me, no matter how much the world is falling apart today. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. absolutely. I love that. So I love so many things about it. I also love the accountability. I'm like all the lessons I want people to take away from that. Like one little nugget is the accountability of doing it with friends and having a check-in. Now you've added connection to a solo practice that Elevates that whole experience as well, which again, resiliency in that with like staying connected and
1: oh, that's everything for me. Like you know yeah. this about me, my work is all about relationships, communication. How do we really lead from a relational place, from an emotionally intelligence place? And it's so sweet because it started with one of my girlfriends who's in DC, who's a single mom, who's you know she's a single mom and a school administrator. I mean, she is like does not have extra time. She's working her butt off all the time, and. She got the idea of doing small. she was an athlete all the way through college. So she used to be very active. and it's just been really hard for her to be in this stage of her life, this season of life. And atomic habits, which I haven't read yet, but everybody's been talking about excellent, <laughs> okay. You know, the guy who wrote that says something to the effect of consistency is more important than intensity. Yeah. 100%. And so she brought that to me and was like, okay. I know that in order to get back into a habit of wellness, I need to start with something that I can win at easily on repeat. And that's where the sun salutations came into. And then I was on a hike with another girlfriend and out here, and I was telling her about it. And she knows this other friend of mine peripherally. And she's like, wait, I have always wanted to be friends with her too. And I want to do that. Can I join? That's
0: (laughs) totally how I make friends. I'm like, that person over there looks cool. Will you become friends with that?
1: Totally. And I was like, I'm a connector. Like it's top of my strengths finder. It's hundred percent who I am. And so it's my joy to do that. So I immediately just brought her on the text thread and I was like, you two should be friends. Let's all do this together. And that, I just can't say enough to people listening. Like isolation is... Not our friend. Quiet time alone is yeah. right. <laughs> yep. There's a distinction there. Like I yeah. need to recharge, right, for sure. But community and connection and love, I think it's the only way through. Absolutely.
2: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.
3: Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist, and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.
0: So you mentioned atomic habits and I have to share my favorite quote from that book because I think that you'll appreciate it. And I think it is reflected in the stuff that you're you just talked about. Mm. My favorite quote from the book is every action you take is a vote for who you are becoming. And beautiful. When I think about that, when I'm about to make a hard decision or when I'm thinking like should I skip this thing or like should I do A or B, I go back to like, well, who am I becoming and how do I vote for her? And so when you're thinking about like that 10 minutes every day and staying connected with girlfriends and 57 days in a row and mm-hmm. like seeing the woodpecker and like, those are all votes for who you are becoming, which is yeah. also voting to become the person who lives in Colorado, who wants to slow down versus voting for 21 year old sage yeah. in high pace. Yeah.
1: <laughs> totally. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. I love that quote. I will eventually Isn't that great? have to read it or listen to it, the book. Yeah, it's a good one.
0: Definitely. I think beautiful I pulled li- I listened to it. I led the book and book clubs. So I'm like, did I read it? Did I listen? Probably both. But as soon as I remember that quote and I like wrote it down on a sticky and had it on a sticky for like six months awesome. after we did book club and inside my membership, because it was so powerful. Okay. So I want to dig into a little bit of your work and some work that. You started, and you can tell us when you started this project, because I don't know off the top of my head, but when you started this project, I was like, oh, that's a big project and (laughs) the stakes are high and I am here for it. And I was like incredibly impressed and proud and Mm. just really grateful for the work that you decided that you wanted to do. So you decided to launch your if you are, you had a podcast that you had had previously, but you did like a relaunch of your podcast mm-hmm. and the new podcast is called race, culture, and beyond. So can you talk about why you decided decided to launch this show? And then I also want to know, and this is where you and I have had conversations around this because this is where the stakes are really high. What are the considerations that you made to launch a show on race and culture as a white woman?
1: Yeah. Oh, such good questions. First of all, the show is co-hosted with a black woman. So I just want everybody to know that that was very much intentional and I'll get to how that came to be as well. Sarah, you played a part in me relaunching the show and I, did. Oh, I, oh, did. I think I remember, okay, go ahead. You really did. I think I know so- what you're
0: going to say. Go ahead though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I had the show is called naked conversations. It was, you know, it was a spinoff of my book, naked communication And initially it had been really more focused on brave ways that women were living out in the world and telling, sharing their stories and how it's shaped their work, which is how you ended up as a guest on the show. Right. And it's luster for me after maybe 60 or so episodes, unlike you, Sarah, with your 600, but I was, I took a pause. (laughs) Because I'm a robot. I'm I'm a robot. (laughs) So I took a pause from it. It was, I wanted it to be a joyful, creative experience and part of like, you know, a good part of my business. And it just wasn't that. So I took a pause and, you know, I have two kids, et cetera. I was doing all this other consulting and coaching work, which was generating revenue. And the podcast was more of a, you know, a creative project. Right. So I took a pause and then George Floyd was murdered. Multitude, Ahmaud Aubrey, I mean, the black Lives matter movement launched and I was in a group with a business group of women and it was a much more diverse group of women than I have typically been a part of, which was great. And that was by design intentionally. And a newer black friend of mine, I said, you know, I have this idea. Like I want to have, you know, I'm all about communication and relationships and how like, that's the only way forward for us to have any kind of peace and solve problems. And I want to have the podcast come back and I want to talk about racism, anti-racism, white privilege, microaggressions, all the ugly, messy things, you know, but like, I don't feel like I should, because I don't want to center myself, you know, like that we're not supposed to put our white voices on the microphone. <laughs> like we're supposed to like, let not put ourselves as the spotlight, you know? And so, and this friend of mine whom I adore, she's in St. Louis. She was like, oh no, 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 no. She's like, I am so tired. Please. She said, you know, white folks, you still have the power. And so you have to be part of the change. Like, you know, we've been putting our fists in the air and angry for generations. Like we, I want you to do this. And I was like, okay. And I started, that was sort of like, okay, I started vetting it then with various people. And you know what? I got myriad reactions. I even surveyed my newsletter list and somebody wrote back like, yeah, I would love that show, but not done by a white person you know and i was like okay honest answer so you know this dueling conflict around do you pick up some of the emotional labor or are mm-hmm. is that is that centering yourself and what i got was there is no singular right path forward and there's no singular BIPOC point of view on what i should do like yeah. of course right so it became for me what's an integrity like what is what's my sphere of influence i have always been passionate about equity work since I was a child. And I credit my parents enormously for that. And they were active in the community and they raised lots of money and went on, you know, gave their services to different organizations in the form of their time. And I was raised with that ethos of contribution and service and the world isn't fair and it should be more just. I have, Did I have you a, go to
0: Catholic school? Have we talked? No, because you can no. not Catholic.
1: Okay. I'm Jewish.
0: This, cause this is, yeah. You said you're Jewish because this is like so Catholic. I mean, this is, I was raised in Catholic schools and it's why we sent our son to a Catholic school is not because of the religious piece, because of all the things you just said that like the commitment mm. to justice and the commitment to giving. And
1: that's and, all the best stuff of Catholicism. Right. Yeah, my and grandmother, equity, devout, that, yeah. one grandmother, Jewish, other grandmother, devout Catholic. And so you're absolutely right. There's crossover, right? Like yeah. in the, but my parents were like, they actually showed me what that looked like in action. Like they were attending events and they were bringing me to events. And I didn't realize at the time, how significant that was. I had no idea until I really started raising my own children and was like, Oh, and hanging out with their friends, parents, and so on and so forth. And being like, Oh, that was intentional. That was by design. If I want my kids (laughs) to think about activism or to think about. So anyways, I just said, okay, it is really for whatever reason, Sarah, this is a blessing and a curse. (laughs) 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 Here we go. Greatest strength is our greatest liability, but I am good at really hard conversations and I often find myself in spaces where as a disruptor in spaces where there's conflict or, and it's uncomfortable. I just did it again yesterday with a work thing. Like, but I was like, I can do this. Like I can handle my own discomfort if I feel like I could be of service to anyone Mm -hmm. and I can handle pushback. Like that people might give me and, you know, so far, knock on wood, nobody's like come after me hatefully (laughs) about the show. But, I just decided to sit by and do nothing to keep myself safe was bullshit, too, so yeah,
0: I appreciate that so much, and I totally agree, and I want to bring up kind of like a another a parallel example. So I did the Dr. Phil show recently talking about critical race theory, yeah, you did and which yes was so awesome and really, yeah, it was an amazing and fascinating experience mm. and One of the things that came out of that conversation was a lot of people commenting on how brave I was. And oh, yeah, interesting. I was like, well, I mean, like, what are the potential costs and risks to me as a white woman to take a stand on race education in schools? Like, real low. I might maybe get like yelled at on stage on the Dr. Phil show, which maybe would be like publicly embarrassing, but also like nothing else is on the line for me. So Mm. that's in Mm -hmm. my mind, that's not brave. That's like part of my responsibility. right? And I see what you're saying. And for you making these considerations around, if I'm going to be an integrity as an ally, then of course I have to do this show and do it Mm. in a way that is aligned with my values so that I'm not centering myself as much as I am taking over some of the emotional labor for other people. And so, I mean, of course, like, yes, I want to be like Sage, that's really brave because it is in a lot of ways. And also, the stakes are the low. The stakes are low. Yeah. And I don't know if anyone, have you had the conversation around like if someone refers to you in, as an activist or not? And like thoughts mm. around white, white women being called activists?
1: No. And I don't usually call myself one. I may have, said I don't that about either. Activism, and I've had but,
0: other people yeah. refer to me that way. And it always was a little like, uh, I don't know. It seems like a bit much. And then I saw someone talking about it saying like, interesting. Th- be thoughtful about labeling yourself as an activist because what are the actual stakes? And like to label yourself as an activist, is like, you're really intentionally putting yourself in harm's way to stand up for something or mm. someone. And so, and there's going to be a huge, you know, spectrum of beliefs on this, but like the stuff that I do, I'm not putting myself on the lo- I'm not risking a whole lot. I, I understand that for other people, it would be massively uncomfortable to like be on a podcast and talking about race or be on Dr. Phil and talk about race. I understand the discomfort around that, but like, I'm not going to lose my livelihood or my life over it. And right. so you're not yeah. going to
1: lose your livelihood or your life over it. Right. Absolutely. And I feel comfortable saying I'm a disruptor. I've been disruptive since yeah, forever. I like that. Yeah. Love
0: that. <laughs> you <laughs> so know, <also> and, same.
1: <laughs> yeah, also same. If that was one of my favorite stories with my husband was like, we were talking about it related to his family, my in-laws. And I was like, I don't want to always be like the disruptor in your family. Like, you know, cause they are much more sort of, I love them. If any of them are listening, I love you all, but they're more like, Sweep it under the rug, don't bring it to the surface, like you know. And so I'm like, I don't want to be that person all the time we in don't. the family. And he's like, babe, I hate to tell you, but you're a disruptor in far many more places than in the family.
4: <laughs> <laughs> this yeah, because like- because it's such a part of
0: who you are, you don't recognize it until other oh, people my- you, it has to be reflected back to you. Like I've got, in Mm -hmm. fact, just yesterday, I was on a call with some school people and they were like, we're going to need you to hold yourself back a little in these conversations. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, oh yeah. Like sometimes I am a lot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And you know what? We need more people to be a lot, like more women and more marginalized (laughs) voices. Like it's okay. And also I need to be able to walk the talk. Like if I'm out here saying, Hey, naked conversations, everybody, like, let's see if we can talk across like differences. Let's see if we can actually listen to one another. Then I have to be, you know, willing to put all that's on the line for me. With a show, is like my reputation, or my yeah, my reputation. Really, you know, it's way yeah. braver for Erica, who's my black co-host. Yeah, and she was almost mad at me for inviting her to do it. My friend, <laughs> she was like, "Oh, really?" She's like, "I can't okay, say no." Fine. But- yeah, <laughs> but you know, it was much riskier for her. Like she was concerned, yeah. like, "Oh gosh, what people in my professional sector get a hold of this, or you know, that kind of thing," and. I will say though, you can disrupt inside of white spaces too. So I'm safe, but it's actually really important that we do disrupt. And like, that's where we need to disrupt. You know, I was doing some work recently out of state and the demographic is much more conservative. And sadly, so many things are politically, you know, that I wish they weren't even political issues, but that's how they fall. And somebody at the training that I was leading had looked me up and seen race, culture and beyond as my podcast. And had seen somewhere in my language, I don't know if it was a specific show. I don't even know. It said white supremacy, something, and they brought that up in in mm-hmm. front of the whole group. And I was like, okay, where's this going to go? Yeah, <laughs> you no, know, like let me walk my talk. Like I've got to sit with this space where, for various reasons, that like, we were trying to build an established trust to do our work together, and it was fine, it was good. Afterwards, they talked to me individually. Anyways, like I thought to myself. This is what has to happen. I mean, it wasn't comfortable, but I was in no risk, you know. The biggest yeah. risk I guess could be that went too far in my response to something and I didn't get another contract with this right. group. You know, I'd lose revenue. That's like yeah. the biggest risk. And yeah. I, that's not what I think will happen at all. It was and more it was like, "Oh, what an opportunity for me to leave my bubble of beliefs in some ways and, you know, just be in the space of people who were thinking differently and we can have some dialogue. So the show has been like such a delight to not always easy, some really hard conversations, some stupid Mm -hmm. things I've done, some sticking my foot in my mouth, some major microaggressions. I inadvertently did like, I'm not saying (laughs) it has been some of the messiness that I anticipated that it would be, And we have just decided that that's what we want to model for people. I
0: love that. Okay. I want to dig into that for just a minute, because Mm -hmm. I think if we can embrace that, that's going to happen, then we can have like a dialogue around, like that's part of the growth versus Mm -hmm. like, that's a reason to stop trying to grow. Um, Can you talk a little bit? I don't know if you want to share an example or, but can you just give some context to like, how do you keep going and how do you address things when you have There's been microaggressions that have taken place, and you maybe just like want to go home, crawl under your
1: bed, and not come out (laughs) and feel shame. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And feel personally embarrassed. And yeah, so for those who don't know, although if you've been listening to Sarah, I'm sure you do, microaggression is this, you know, it's the so called little thing that is hurtful or harmful to marginalized communities, right? Like the assumptions that are made and statements that are made that feel like all the little cuts, you know? Yeah. Although some would argue they're not little at all but I'll give you a clear example. Yeah. I, um, Erica and I were recording a show and we were talking about, we always do since it's race culture and beyond, we always do like, what are you into lately? We start our show with like books or film or movie or TV shows or whatever that we're into that has some racial context. Usually it's a novel or whatever queen sugar. I'm so obsessed with queen sugar. If you haven't watched it, everybody should
4: No,
0: Oh, I'm not familiar.
1: Oh my gosh, Sarah, get ready to be delighted. So, and it's so it's amazing. Yeah. Queen Sugar. Okay. So, but this was about a different show. I think it was called Remy, which I haven't seen. Anyways, we're talking about the show. It's like the lighthearted part of the podcast. You know, what are we into lately? And I mention a friend of mine who is Muslim and I say the wrong kind. I don't even say a Muslim faith. I say something about a Sikh temple, which is not even it's not Shia. It's not Sunni. It's not one of the many, it's completely wrong. Mm. <laughs> it's just wrong. <laughs> and I don't even remember that a, I brought her up or B that I said that. Cause I kind of record shows that then like, you know, that we on to the next thing. Right. And this, luckily she's a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine. And actually we just interviewed her for our show. And she called me and said, Hey, I just want to let you know Like you said that Sikhism is totally different. You know, it's not the same thing. And, and I was at first mortified, like, Mm -hmm. I am so sorry. What is, you know, and then I was really self-blaming. Like you said, you're such an idiot. Like if you're not a hundred percent sure, don't say it, you know, especially because it's okay to not know things. You don't have to be woke. I don't even like the word, like, you know, like you telling people it's okay to not know things. Right. So first I'm like beating myself up. I'm ashamed. I'm apologetic. And then I'm like, you are the best, you know, quick. All of that stuff was mostly in my head. The, the, you are the best was directed at her where I'm like, I thank you so much. You just called me in. You really did like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We already had her booked for the show. And I was like, we're going to talk about it when you come on, we're going to talk about what it's like to feel dumb. Like I did (laughs) what it's like to have uh, your friend do something careless that is harmful like I did to her. Mm-hmm. Why she chose to call me in as opposed to just, you know, resent me quietly, mm-hmm. you know, or call me out and and publicly tell me I'm an idiot. All the things. And like what is it about me that has me think I should know everything, right, yeah. in this journey. So it was awesome and hard. So then we we highlighted my error publicly on the show. Yeah. <laughs> um and that was a choice, right? It was like, okay, everyone, this is what this also can look like, right? And what Erica and her name is Nadia, if you, Nadia Ali said to me, is that also that's, it comes from trust, right? Like that we already had a relationship that was worth something. So I've also said things to Erica that have offended her completely unintentionally. You know, mm-hmm. I asked her once, does she read novels? And cause I'm a huge reader and I love fiction. And I didn't realize when I asked her if she reads novels that I was really triggering an old thing that landed like a microaggression around black women reading, like black folks Mm -hmm. being literate and reading and she's highly educated, highly successful. So she was basically well, of course I read, you know what I mean? Kind of. And I was like, wait, what, what's happening?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's, it's become like a really wonderful, beautiful part of our friendship for a myriad of reasons, because I learned. And she also learned because she's like, damn, I only read nonfiction. I need to read more novels. And now we talk about <laughs> novels all the time. Right. But it was like, we she got triggered. We had a conversation and like, that's what this is going to take.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, oh my goodness. Thank you for sharing those examples. I think that it's so important. And the calling in, I actually just today was in a meeting with leaders on a call with leaders. And there was mm-hmm. conversation around people experiencing homelessness and just how the language around that I didn't think was as supportive as it could have been. And so I sent an email afterwards, like, Hey, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, and I'm like going back to being disruptors. I was like, Hey, like, could we maybe upgrade language around this to make sure we're saying people experiencing homelessness instead of the homeless, all the, and reference. Right. I mean, there was like a lot of references to the homeless in this conversation.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And I wanted to make sure that my discomfort was for like anyone on that call who would have perceived that as a microaggression, but it also felt uncomfortable because I needed to go in and do the calling in, in with some leaders that I'm, who are way above me in this particular kind of situation that we were in, in this space. Yeah. And so it was a great quick back and forth of emails, but what was interesting is like, you never know how someone's going to respond. So I was kind of prepared for this, like, we can't make, get it right all the time, you know, like that's, Mm -hmm, and instead the person who I emailed or one of the people on the email thread was like, Oh my gosh, I've been really working on using this different kind of language. And then they listed out some different kind of language around talking about people who are experiencing homelessness. And she said on this call, I just was flustered with like so many things to cover and all that went out the window. And she's like, thank you for the reminder. And we had this great back and forth. And then other people on the thread were able to kind of see here's ways we can do better with this. And it totally became a learning experience. And so I think that when we have those things, publicly or semi-publicly, it can be huge learning opportunities for other people. And it creates space for us to always be in this, to always be kind of aware of, you just don't know what's going to cause harm.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And it's like, it's okay to mess up. You have to learn how to then remedy, you know, or try to have repair harm. Right.
0: Which is a great human quality. Cause then there can be evolution in a relationship. Like the alternative is just like not being able to have a relationship at all because you can't ever grow or have progress. And, you know, mm-hmm. I've definitely been in relationships that like just could not move forward because there was no opportunity for open communication or no opportunity for, or openness to growth. And that's, you know, can be really disappointing.
1: Yeah, And it's really sad because that's, yeah. people miss out because all of oh, that requires totally. vulnerability and yeah. access to intimacy is through that vulnerability. Yes. Oh my gosh.
0: Yes. The access to intimacy. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how does your show, I mean, we've kind of just talked about this in, you know around microaggressions and conversations, naked conversations, I should say, but how does your show support and promote allyship?
1: Oh, that's a very interesting question because one of the things I got really clear on about allyship in reading Leila Saad's book on mm, um, me and white her. supremacy, her workbook. I worked through Which that book. I will
0: link to that me and white supremacy by Layla Saad in the show. Yeah. It's
1: really important work. It's really, really important. And I did a show on it too, actually, because it was so funny because I did, I went through that book with some white girlfriends in a book group intentionally, you know, and we really held each other accountable to working through all of it and met regularly, et cetera. And then on Erica, my podcast host was like, what was it like to be, I want to be a fly on like a white mm. lady's book club about that. Oh my God. Like, so I let her like, I'm interview like me? I would be so embarrassed. For- <laughs> I know. Well, she, I let her interview me about it. Like what, you oh know, oh my gosh, I love it. So we talked about that on this, our, on, you know, on race culture and beyond, but the allyship is a verb and I don't get to say if I am one, those are the two mm. things that I just like really, and I read it other places besides through Leila Saad's beautiful work, but that's, I feel like where I really got it. Like, you know, I don't get to give myself that badge, you know, Yeah. like, so that has felt in some ways kind of liberating too. Cause I'm like, I'm not, I you know I'm not going to be out there. Like I'm an ally. Like, I'm just going to try to do what I've always done and do it better once I know better, you know, which yeah. is, I think it, no, no better do better is my Angelou, I believe. But so that means like when, somebody in my family does something offensive on Facebook, I say something about that. Mm -hmm. In this case, I didn't do it on Facebook. I did it. Actually, I don't remember how it all. I know that it ended up not on, maybe I said something on Facebook first, but it ended up off of Facebook. (laughs) And so how the show promotes allyship. I mean, I hope that it does, but I don't feel like it's for me to say that, I guess, you know, we only have guests of color or we have only so far highlighted people of color on the show who've come on. So that's intentional and by design to, you know, elevate voices that aren't as commonly elevated. Um, the the, I guess one way I think, and I hope I'll just say again, that I hope it supports allyship is that I know we have a ton of white listeners and cause I have a big white community yeah. <laughs> and I am challenging white woman to white woman listener like to expand our thinking and to do better. So I hope that that is supporting allyship and courage, Yeah, but you know, it's not for me to say.
5: Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is?
0: Oh, that was super helpful and interesting. I want to talk a little bit about equity because you talk about equity being a through line in all of your work. And so can you talk about your commitment to creating more equitable spaces in the world and the various communities that you serve? I think that when we're doing this work and it can be, and when I say we are doing this work, I mean, like anyone who wants to be supportive of people who have different access to things and who are or marginalized who, community
1: or yeah marginalized communities
0: people who are mm-hmm. underrepresented who don't mm-hmm. have access to being heard, who don't have you know equal opportunity like all of those things. So anyone who's wanting to be supportive, then I think the work often doesn't happen just in one space and this is what I'm noticing in my life is and we've I think you and I talked a little bit about this when we were having a little chat the other day but like it's I can't just talk about it on the podcast when I decide that I'm going to work with the parent association at my son's school, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden I'm like, how do we bring in like speakers on the LGBTQ plus community in a Catholic school? And like, I mean, like I cannot, I literally cannot just like have my work around equity be in like the podcast. It's across it over into right. everything. Right. So can right. you talk about that for yourself a little bit and just how all of us can work on having those values across all spectrums in our community?
1: Mm. It's an awesome question. I really struggle with this. So my work is the work that I do, like that I get paid for in the world is consulting and coaching around leadership and team building. The foundation of that is entirely related to communication and relationship building, right? How do we have trust so that there's inclusion, so that all voices are heard, right? I sort of come at it in this holistic way. So I get paid for that. I don't say that I'm a diversity, equity and inclusion practitioner, though my work always has some of that in it. So if you get me, if you hire me, right? Like you get me asking questions around how do we make sure everybody's heard? You know, you get me facilitating a group like I did yesterday and saying, I haven't heard from so-and-so and so-and-so. Is there anything you want to add? Mm-hmm. You know, if not, that's fine. But I think every voice been heard once before other voices get heard twice. Right. right. So for me, And I've just been really hesitant to say that I'm a a DEI practitioner because I think that's a really, like, I'm like, that's like an honorable term to me, people who are doing that work, but I am doing that work infused in all of my life as best as I know how, and that's all I can do. Right. So what that looks like as a mom and as a parent with my husband is really honest conversations with our kids. And we talked to them about racism and we told them about George Floyd's murder. And when my little boy um, was younger, one of his very best friends in elementary school was adopted from Haiti, and they weren't allowed to play Nerf guns outside because his mom was like, Nope, he is a black boy in a predominantly mm-hmm. white community. Like, he doesn't get to play even fake guns outside, yeah, you know? And, yeah. I, and I told my eight year old boy that at the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about oppression. We talk about it with my stepmom is black. So one of their grandmothers is black. They call her Nene. Hi, Nene. And we go back to Philly to spend time with her and in her home. And, you know, Philly's a predominantly black city. And I'm like calling out explicitly in my parenting what is happening in the world the best that I know how, you know? And if I'm at a meeting like you just pointed to, or like in a professional context where something is said that doesn't feel inclusive to me and I don't catch them all, you know, but if I notice it and I do catch it, it's not always to get on a soapbox and like tell yeah. people that they're wrong. It's like, let's offer other language. Let's offer a different way of saying that. Or one of my core tenants in my consulting and facilitation work is around choosing curiosity over assumption. It's like, I ask everybody to agree to that norm when we're going to engage in any kind of group discourse and I have to engage in that too, right? So if something gets said, what can I ask that would elicit more information before I just assume what they meant by that? So I think it's kind of just like learning to walk through your life as somebody who like has a stand for things being more just and where you have a sphere of influence, finding the courage to use it.
0: I want to go back. I love all that. And and we all have spheres of influence. And so we all get to choose how we step into those and how we step up within them. And I want to go back to what you said about the power of choosing curiosity over assumption, because I think that we are in this space that we've been in for the last six years or so. And maybe some of us just have this in us, but but (laughs) where we're quick to make assumptions and if you are a fast thinker, as you mentioned, you were at the beginning and I am as well. Mm-hmm. If you're a fast thinker, it's easy to make an assumption while someone is still making a statement and totally. you start preparing your response. <laughs> you stop. As soon as you've made the assumption, you stop listening to whatever they're saying. And you're like writing the response in your head for what you're going to say the second they stop talking. And mm-hmm. that's the opposite of choosing curiosity. <laughs> over totally. Totally but it is absolutely my gift. (laughs) And, (laughs) And so I've had to like really be thoughtful and I've been lucky. I say lucky, it's been really hard work, but I've been lucky to have some opportunities and positions in the last year, especially where things, where I've been in conversations and new relationships with leaders, where I've had to like really be like, shut up. Listen to everything uh-huh. and formulate yeah. like a really good question at the end instead of always like coming in like leading the charge with all of your like, you know, gonna fight this one out, kind of energy. Um, so can you just talk a little bit more about the importance of that? because I don't want to overlook that piece. I think it's so critical,
1: yeah, that's so great. If those who were listening took this one piece away, I'd be happy because, I write about this and teach about this all time in this training. I was leading yesterday in person, actually, which was kind of fun. I had to go buy new shoes since nobody's seen my feet in a a year (laughs) and a half about people call it active listening, or I call it really getting it really being present when somebody's speaking to you, whatever the case may be. But it is the number one way to deescalate conflict and to be able to come up with solutions, innovative solutions is to really hear what somebody has to say. And I practice this and I teach this all the time. And when I was a school counselor, it was like the number one superpower for me with really angry parents. For those of you who are parents, you know, that nothing makes you angrier than if you feel like somebody slighted your child. Right. So I would be always called in when there was an irate raging parent. And what it would take is just to really get and sit with their anger yeah. Like, I really get, you're furious. You think we've messed up. We've given up on your child. We've, you know, don't see that they have that. We don't see that they have potential and we are, you are just sending them out. all You know, whatever it is, just really hearing it, no matter how uncomfortable. And just yesterday in this training, I was leading with a bunch of school leaders. I said, look, you made assumptions about me the second I walked in the door, you know, and they're kind of like snickering. And I'm like, yeah, like, what am I wearing? And you know, what my mask situation is and where did I come in from out of state? And, you know, this kind of thing. And it's like, let's just own that we're, we're assumption making people. Like that's what mm-hmm. we do. Like you said earlier, you're a robot. We're assumption making robots. Like we're like, <laughs> you know, we're constantly judging, making things up all the time. And the more we can be aware of that and pause, really it's about slowing down to be like, okay, what else is possible here? And I do this constantly with clients. I'll be like, come up with five possible other interpretations of that situation like Mm, yeah, or of that statement, that thing was said to you or this direct report of yours or this teacher on your staff, like is constantly saying X, Y, or Z, what else could they be meaning by that? Mm -hmm. And that's a muscle. Like that's just a muscle that one exercises around how many points of view can I see? And I think that goes back to equity because it's around inclusive thinking, like, okay, how else can I think of this? Yes.
0: And you can even do that with an example that we all do is like someone doesn't respond to a text within a certain amount of time. And we make up a story. And mm-hmm. like What are the five other reasons that they, maybe they didn't respond?
1: Totally. Yeah, exactly.
0: Like you can exactly. practice in a really low stakes way because, because we're always making up stories. We're always jumping always. to those like, well, clearly they didn't text back because they think they have more important things to do, or they're mad at me or like whatever, you know, and then it's, mm-hmm turns out to be none of those things. most Right, most of the right. Time.
1: You have to want to communicate and relate to people that way. Yeah. Absolutely. And you have to willing to not be right all the time. Like most of the reason why we're dying to say our next thing and we're not listening to the person speaking is because we want to prove our next point. <laughs> yeah. And we want to be seen. And we want to be seen. We want to make sure that like, we're the smart one or we're the one with the answer. Or, you know, if it's our podcast that we know we're ready, we know what to say next versus just like, it's okay to just be like, oh, wow, hold on. Let me like, just take a minute with what you just said, Sage yeah. or Sarah, like that really landed with me and before you come out with your next question. I mean, it's, it's okay to take some space mm-hmm. in our conversations. Um, uh, yes,
0: absolutely. I've been learning recently about through our mutual friend, shout out to Lex Vernon about the power of, and this wasn't like a huge thing she was teaching, but it's something she just kind of casually mentioned a couple of times. And I was like, wow, I'm really bad at that is making space for introverts. And you mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier when you're sitting around a table being asking that question, like, did everyone get a chance to say what they wanted to say? Mm
4: -hmm. And
0: I know for me, like I can be uncomfortable with silence and like blank air, especially as a leader of a conversation. Mm. And so like, we don't think about being more equitable toward introverts, but it's actually a thing we should be thinking about. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, creating those opportunities to be like, let's just sit with us for a minute, and create that space for people to process, and then asking again, does anyone else have anything they want to add? Or you know, let's sit with this. You know,
1: it's huge. It's yeah, it's like really huge, and it's yeah, it, that's part of inclusion too. And yeah. I think that's because of my counseling background. I have a master's in counseling psychology and that's what I used to do. And we were trained to be able to be with silence. Mm -hmm. And so when I facilitate groups now, I really, and I have a, one of my children is truly an introvert and I'm like, okay, this is new for me to learn about. Right. And so now as somebody with an educational background and a counseling background, like when I design a leadership training, let's say I make sure that some of the activities to your point, like that there some of them are self-reflection so that people have time to quietly process before I ask them to share. I didn't used to do that. I, cause mm-hmm. it's so easy for me yeah. to be like, here's the question on the slide deck. Okay. Go talk about an embarrassing time in your past or a time when you, you know, I could like riff with you on that without much forethought. And I wouldn't be, you know, and I'm like, Oh, a lot of people cannot, they need mm-hmm. to think about it first, write it down. And that's awesome. Then they come out with the most thoughtful, you know, more intentional. And even the extroverts can benefit from that. Like taking yeah. a little time yes. to think before they, so I think that's been helpful to me as sort of my counseling and educational background around like, what are the multiple kinds of learners in the space? What, you know, what is weight? It's called in, in classroom speak, wait time, you know, like mm-hmm. you ask a question and there's wait time to let kids process and try and come up with answers and adults need that too.
0: Absolutely. Okay, Sage, we got through like twenty-five percent of the things that I wanted to talk about today. So <laughs> you're obviously just gonna have to come back again. But <laughs> so wanna, fun to talk to you. I know. I want to know how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom.
1: Oof. <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind and like makes me laugh is like my kids would be like, "I have no shame whatsoever," though. I'm like, "You're so embarrassing. Like,
4: why can't you
1: <laughs> read it in?" But for me, it's always been that while being a mom is my the, the most sacred thing in my life. Like I'm just, yeah. I had to have, you and I talked about this. I also did IVF. Like I wanted to be a mom. Like this was very much by design. So it's my most important thing, but it is not my primary identity. Mm. And I'm not embarrassed to say that shit anymore. Yeah. Like I have never really related to like mom as a part of my identity. It's a part of my identity, but not as a prime. I don't lead with it. Mm-hmm. I really don't lead with it. And I really, so I guess my shameless mom piece is like, I'm a whole woman you know, and I'm ambitious and I'm loud and I want to be sexy forever. And I want to take time to be with my girlfriends and adventure and see the world. And I want to like deeply love and be there for my children and make sure that I can nurture them the best way that I can. So I guess how I'm being a shameless mom is like honoring all the parts of my personhood beyond love it.
0: Yay. Love it. Okay. Where can people find you? Listen to the show. Connect with you, all the good things. Awesome,
1: on Spotify or on iTunes, of course, is or I, what is it called now Apple Apple podcasts. Apple podcasts. Thank you, thank you very much. Could is, be something different by the time this goes live. Right now, totally. Like, <laughs> and on Instagram, all of that is Race Culture and Beyond Podcasts. And then for me, in my work and other capacities, I'm at sagebhobbs.com, sagebhobbs.com. That's my handle also on Instagram, and I'd love to connect with folks.
0: Yay. Oh my goodness. We will link everything up in the show notes. So if people go to shamelessmom.com, click on the recent episode with Sage B Hobbs, and you will have all those links mentioned or all those links to click through on, including the TV shows, Queen Sugar and Remy, which we've watched Remy. It came to me while we were talking. It's so good. I'm going to look up Queen Sugar and then I'll have the book, me and my supremacy linked up. I'll have your podcast, race, culture and beyond, and then your website, sagebhobbs.com and all social as well. So people can get easy access to all the good stuff. Sage, thank you. Thank you for being here. Come back anytime. (laughs) I will talk to you so soon on Marco Polo.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Sarah. Thanks everyone.